This is Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Campbell Dobbin, and we have episode five. And did I put this on my Instagram story or did I not? I told everyone I would have another podcast, two, one later, but I said a special guest was coming on, and my special guest is on right now. He's a good friend of mine from a couple towns over in Southern Bergen County. He goes to Montclair State University with myself as well. Uh, he is the voice of WMSC Sports on 90.3 WMSC Upper Montclair, the voice of Montclair State University. My good pal, a uh, guy I do look up to, uh, Jack Barczak. Jack, how are you? Thank you for coming on. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for the very nice introduction. So I'll have to... Uh... I'll have to earn that introduction now throughout the podcast, but you know, I love the work you're doing so far. Keep, keep grinding. You've been basically posting something new every day. I love it. So keep up the hard work, but thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. Uh, just to brief off a little bit, uh, just like for anyone who doesn't know, uh, for all the sports watchers out there here in the tri-state area or wherever you are watching, uh, tell us a little about, a little bit about yourself and, around like playing sports or probably getting involved with uh, the sports media aspect and like wanting to like do like commentary or like either behind the scenes work and how do you have like any like big uh, inspirations or like role models that you look up to in the sports media world? Well, I know that you know this. I am from Waters, New Jersey. I played baseball and basketball there for four years and Obviously, I knew I was never good enough to make it to the NBA or anything like that, but I love sports so much. It's my passion, and I always knew that I wanted to do something in the field of sports, and I also love talking, if you couldn't tell, or you will by the end of this podcast, but you know, I figured why not put those two things together? Sports media is, is the perfect combination of both, and you know, I, I was looking around the schools. I ended up with Montclair State. It has the most beautiful school of communication and media, all state-of-the-art, you know, technology, great professors. And from the first day I was on campus there, you know, I joined WMSC, the radio station up there, and they got me set up literally in the first meeting. It was the first day of school, and three days later, I was doing the pregame for the first football game of the season. And from there, I just climbed my way up the ladder at WMSC. I ended up calling a game that season as the color commentator. And then by basketball season, I was calling multiple games as color and play-by-play. And then, of course, this year I moved into the assistant sports director and now sports director role heading into next year. And I also got the opportunity to be one of the first members of the Red Hawk Sports Network, which is going to be streaming on YouTube next year. Well, hopefully next year if we can get these games back going with everything that's going on right now. But once games resume at Montclair State University, the Red Hawk Sports Network will be streaming all those games on YouTube. And I am one of the lead commentators for that. So I've had so many opportunities at Montclair State. And, you know, just to meet people like you, Campbell, well, obviously I knew you before, but to get to know you better, I've met so many people, so many of the professors had so many great opportunities. And, you know, it's just been a blessing. It's been so exciting to be able to follow in a field that I love so much. And, you know, I always tell my family, it's like, I never dread going up to school. Like every day I have to go up to school. I'm excited because I know that around every corner, it's another new opportunity. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really exciting. And, you know, I can't wait to just keep climbing up the ladder. And 
if I had to say inspirations, I would say one would be my dad because he was uh, also a communications major when he was in school. He never followed through with it and ended up in the communications field, but you know, he was the guy who got me into sports, the guy that I always talk about sports with, you know, whenever something happens, I'm texting him about it. So he's kind of the guy who, who's had me around sports my whole life. And then if I had to pick somebody who's on air, I, the list is endless, but commentary, I would say Gary Cohen because he, I'm a Mets fan. He's one of the greatest announcers I've ever heard in my life. And I get to listen to him for 150 or so games a year, which is awesome. And then, you know, in studio work, I would say Scott Van Pelt from ESPN. I, I watch his show every night as I fall asleep, and he is just the best. I think that the way he frames stories in sports, you know, he shows you – he cuts through the fat and shows you what's real about it. And, you know, he doesn't hold back. He gives you his opinion, but he also gives you the news, and I just love the way he formats his show and everything. So I don't know which road I want to take yet. I'm trying everything at Montclair State. And I'm, will, I'm open to any opportunities, but, you know, I, I like to take from a bunch of different people, put my own spin on it, and, and hopefully I'll see where it takes me. That's very good. I mean, I've told multiple people this, like, like just branch off other ideas, multiple sports, like basketball, baseball, hockey, lacrosse, golf, tennis. And uh, like you said about uh, aspirations, uh, I mean, like you said myself, I mean, like I said before in the intro, uh, probably one of the biggest influences of me going to Montclair State was constantly texting you uh, about this and that. Like teachers, it's no joke. I remember you hitting me up for like stuff, all, all, like a year prior to you coming to the school, and you were asking me questions about it. I I love that tenacity. And yeah, and I mean, of course, I mean I. Done work for WMC Sports. Uh, got to call game with you, my first game with you, and I got to call uh, another game with our pal George, and and also do in studio work and stuff. And also, uh, I had to fill in a role to be the uh, color commentator for a women's across game for Red Hawk Sports Network. And I'm so excited to see where that goes in the future. I will try to push myself in the future to try to try to like help whatever I can to either do WMC or do the rap sports summer because it's going to be great in the future. And I love our school communications. And when I tell you, my mom fell in love with the whole school. She literally was like, Oh my God, they had the latest technologies and stuff. The new, their studios are amazing. And I, I, think you've met my mom before uh she has studied communications she went to Hofstra with one of the great schools to study there she uh works and um for uh please refrain if uh if anyone has a problem with saying this but my mom does do work for Fox News Channel and she's been there for over 20 years and uh she has been behind the studio show running uh, she's wrote scripts for the people. We've seen the teleprompters of what the of what the anchors do. Uh, she's also now the director of news programming for Fox Fox Headlines News twenty four seven channel one seventeen on Sirius XM Radio uh, twenty four seven news uh, for their way. Um, 
And I think my biggest influence, I would say, is my mother because she studied in that field. And, of course, you know, I'm a huge, huge uh, Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, I mean, I could tell many stories with my dad and my mom about uh, talking about the Red Sox uh, starting lineup to where how they look this year. And we'll get more to that with the MLB side of stuff later. But, I mean, I think an aspiration of mine or, like, a role model that I loved when I was a kid was um, Donald Shalow, who's now the pay-by-play for the San Diego Padres, who used to be the voice of Nesson, the England Sports Network of the Boston Red Sox, who, along with Jerry Remy, who is the color guy. And, I mean, it's, like, it's something when you're a kid, like, you look at, like, old videos or like you hear like Sam Rosen or you hear Mike Breen as a, as a young kid, like a 12, 13 year old kid, or you listen to Doc Emmerich who's like, Oh, I want to be that guy. I want to, I want to like be the next Sam Rosen, Doc Emmerich, Mike Breen or Joe Buck or uh, the late great uh, Pat Summerhall with John Madden and the, and the old time Super Bowl broadcasts back in the early 2000s. And I think it's so beneficial now that we as like a student body or like people who love sports and like just want to do different things can go to these great schools and learn from people who've been there before and know how like the business works and they teach you and teach you and they push you to like make, make stuff not perfect, but just the way like you want it to be just to like boost your confidence level and have that like that aha moment like I can do this if I put the utmost confidence in myself to be better every day and like you said uh when I enter the SCM building it, it makes me happy because like I get to see friends of mine I get to talk to professors that I work with and they help me teach me and they ask me all these questions, and it's great. And I'm looking forward to the future, hopefully, to work with you as well as other members of WMSC Sports along with the Red Ox Sports Network because I'm just so excited to see where both these wonderful run organizations go to in the future. So now let's get to on the sports side of things, and I will give you a little runoff. Let's start with the NBA and how uh, your Brooklyn Nets uh, are, I wouldn't want to say, like, struggling. Oh, no, you can course, say it. They're the walking wounded right now. <laughs> I, I didn't want to get your uh, hopes up or a little bit down, but I think it's only right to say because, I mean, of course, you have guys from the Nets dropping out. Like, I would say, like, flies because of, they are ultimately doing it for their utmost safety because multiple players have tested for COVID-19. And I want to get your thoughts on the the Nets and their current situation, as well as possibly uh, where you see this tournament going and any predictions you have for the winner of the playoff format tournament. Well, I'll start with the Nets and I'll say – it's unfortunate the way this year has turned out, but I've said it since the beginning, this year was kind of just like a trial run. We knew Kevin Durant wasn't going to be playing. So that's 
$40 million a year that you have tied up to a guy who wasn't playing a single game this season. And that's a big hole in the lineup to fill, especially when you're trying to fill it with Torian Prince, maybe. Uh, Joe Harris. I love Joe Harris. He's not Kevin Durant. I'm sorry. So you look at this team and, you know, I thought that they could have been much better, but you take into account the injuries with Kyrie Irving, the injuries with DeAndre Jordan and other things you had to deal with throughout the season. And it just wasn't meant to be. And now of course you look at this playoff picture and you know, you're missing obviously Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan sitting out, Wilson Chandler sitting out, Spencer Dinwiddie might have to sit out. And it's just a totally different team. You know, we're talking about a team in the beginning of the season, opening night, you were talking about Kyrie Irving and Spencer Dinwiddie are your two point guards. And now we're going into the Orlando bubble talking about who's going to be starting a point guard for us, Tyler Johnson or Chris Chioza. So clearly it's not the same team you thought it was going to be. Honestly, you look at the situation for the Nets and you say, is it better to fall out of the playoffs and get into the lottery and keep your pick? that you have lottery protected because if they make the playoffs, they lose that pick, I believe to the Hawks in that Torian Prince deal. But you know, it's just, it's a question of what do you gain out of making the playoffs? Of course you get that experience, but at this point, the season's over. They, They have no shot to win. They didn't have any shot to win. Even if everybody was healthy, except Kevin Durant. And even with Kevin Durant, they might not have had a chance to win this year because the league is just looking really good all around. And in these circumstances, you know, it's just unpredictable. But looking forward, I mean, a lot of people have been skeptical of the way the Nets had their last offseason, you know, getting rid of D'Angelo Russell, who kind of put them back on the map and all of the moves to bring in Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. These are guys that, you know, there's question marks around them. Is Kyrie Irving a leader? Can he be a, a good teammate in the locker room? Kevin Durant, is he soft? Is he a cupcake? You know, you hear all these question marks, but at the end of the day, you look at this league and it's a talent-driven league. It's a star-driven league. You can't win without superstars. Look at the last 10 NBA champions. Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry. The Spurs had Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Going all the way back, Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. You know, that, that Celtics team with the big three. Every team that win has stars, and the Nets just didn't have that in that D'Angelo Russell era. And I love D'Angelo Russell, but he's not a guy that's going to win you a championship. And, you know, I had this conversation the other day about the Raptors, and a lot of people are high on the Raptors, and I said, I just don't see how the Raptors can make the championship this year because look at them last year against the 76ers. They need a shot to win the game with 10 seconds on the clock, Put them in that situation this year. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. Who are you giving the ball to? Pascal Siakam, and you're going to trust him to isolate and get you a good shot at the buzzer? Because personally, I don't trust Pascal Siakam with that shot right now. And I love Siakam. I think he has a great future. But right now, he is not the guy you want the ball in his hands when you need a, a shot the most. Those guys, that's LeBron James. That's, to an extent, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard. You could even throw a guy like Anthony Davis in that category. I trust Giannis in that category. And, you know, there's only a handful of those players in this league, and the Nets made the move necessary to get two guys like that. Kyrie Irving has made that shot before. Kevin Durant has made that shot before. So, you know, I'll take my chances on that gamble any day of the week. And even if it doesn't pay off, it just changed the outlook on the Brooklyn Nets. Now, moving forward, 
superstars are going to look at the Brooklyn Nets as a legitimate option. And, uh, you know, it's been said for years before Durant and Irving even came to Brooklyn. I believe it was Luis Scola who said very early on in the Sean Marks era that when the Nets won, after even after that terrible trade with the Celtics, when the Nets won, they would get anybody they wanted because Sean Marks knows exactly what he's doing. He's got a great front office. And, you know, it's a good – it's a well-run organization. And, you know, you compare that to a team like the Knicks who this should be the Knicks. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were supposed to be theirs. But at the end of the day, from the top down, James Dolan starting it all, they're just not a well-run organization. And, and they put all their eggs in the basket of free agency and just hoping that guys will come to New York because it's the Mecca. And it is. But that's just not enough to attract free agents these days. And so that's the difference. You know, you bring in guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and now you make yourself a, a real threat in the NBA moving forward. Even when, when these guys are long gone, your name is going to be known now when it comes to big-time free agents. So I, I, I just think that overall it was the right move to make, even if it hasn't panned out so far. Just give it time. Yeah, and – um when you see, like, all these teams, like, now, like, in the playoff, uh, playing games and stuff, I mean, is there a team that's, like, going to be, like, on your eye to watch or, like, probably, like, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, uh, or, like, probably even, like, a sleeper team? Uh, if, if any team uh, that, like, catches your eye or probably, like, likes to play spoiler in, in this playoff in the Orlando bubble, as we call it, uh, is there like a team that like is like mentioned like underratedly or like is like yeah glorified? Uh, I guess I think we all know who the favorites are. You know, you got the the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, maybe the Celtics, maybe the Raptors. Those are the teams that everybody's talking about, and those are realistically the teams with the best shot to win. My sleeper though is the Philadelphia 76ers. And it pains me to say it because I hate the Sixers. Anybody who knows me knows I hate the Sixers. But you look at this team, and they have all the makings to be super successful in the bubble. Because think about everything you need to do to get back into, into playing form. If you're a team like, say it was the 2016 Warriors, a lot of their success came from shooting the basketball at a high volume. The Sixers don't have to worry about getting back into their in into their shooting routine because they were a bad shooting team this year. They didn't have anybody on the floor that could consistently shoot the three-point shot. Ben Simmons, we didn't even have to discuss that. Josh Richardson is about an average, slightly above average three-point shooter. Tobias Harris, same thing. Al Horford, eh. Joel Embiid, eh. So they don't really have to worry about getting back in the form like another team who relies on their three-point shot. The best thing the Sixers have going for them is that they are going to be all-world defensively. And just look at that lineup. You have Ben Simmons at, what, 6'9 at the point guard. Josh Richardson, 6'7, I believe, at the shooting guard. And 6'9, Tobias Harris. 6'11, Al Harford. And 7'1, Joel Embiid. That's a ridiculous you know, that's like a, a death defense lineup. So I don't know how you score against that. But one of the downfalls of the Sixers' seasons has been playing on the road. They, they just can't play on the road at all. And so now you're going to eliminate any road games. It's all going to be neutral. So who knows? Are they going to play in Orlando like it's a home game? Or are they going to play in Orlando like it's an away game? It's a big question to be asked. But I think the Sixers are the most intriguing team in the bubble 
because I think they can be really good and surprise a lot of people, or they can be really bad and get bounced in the first round, and I'll look like a clown for saying that. But I think that they have the makings to play spoiler. But when it comes down to it, like teams that I really think will contend, I think the Lakers are going to be uh, on a war path to get to the finals. LeBron James is, he, you know, like he said a couple of years ago, chasing that ghost in Chicago. So he needs to get any – if he wants any chance to get to six, and obviously that's what he wants to get to, he's going to have to win this year to get it to four and then hope that he could find two more along the way. If he can't get one this year, he's in trouble. But, you know, I think that this one will be big for his legacy because, you know, I know Giannis said it the other day, this is not going to have an asterisk next to it. This is going to have a gold star next to it because this is going to be the toughest championship that anyone's ever had to play in. But, you know, him and Anthony Davis, even with the loss of Avery, Bla- Avery Bradley, who I think is going to be big for them, I think that they're going to be my favorite personally. I just – the Clippers haven't impressed me this year, although they haven't really had a full-strength squad the whole season. I feel like they've kind of underperformed, whereas I feel like the Lakers overperformed. I didn't expect the Lakers to play this well in the regular season, but, you know, I think that they, they really want it this year. And then you look out east, I don't know about the Bucks. The Bucks scare me because of Giannis, and you just don't know what he's going to be. You look last season in the playoffs, and there was games that he was otherworldly, and he single-handedly willed the Bucks to victory. And then there was other games where teams just had him figured out defensively, and once you stop Giannis, there's no one else that, that's going to hurt you single-handedly on that Bucks team. Chris Middleton can't do it. He's a great second option, but you can't put his, the ball in his hands and just say, get out of the way and get me a basket. So that's what concerns me about the Bucks. If the Bucks are in the zone where Giannis is scoring a goal at the basket, teams are collapsing and he's kicking out to, you know, Brooke Lopez for three, Chris Middleton for three, then they're scary. But it's all about can Giannis do that and can he be the guy to lead that team? And I don't know about the Celtics yet. I think they're a little young, but I really like the direction they're headed in. I think that Jason Tatum is a budding superstar, if not a superstar already. Jalen Brown took a huge step this year, which I didn't expect. I love Kemba Walker, and I think they have all the makings over there. I think if they would have traded for Anthony Davis last year and just taken the rental, they would have been a surefire pick to win the championship this year. But it's going to be interesting. You know, you could see any of six or seven teams realistically winning it, which is something that I don't think you've been able to say for almost a decade now. So let's move on from the NBA and talk about the National Football League. And I know that uh, you have told me about this a few times, and you say that I might be wrong about this, and you're sick and tired of hearing about this team being talked about ever since another team had their Hall of Fame quarterback go to Tampa Bay. And I want to ask you about the AFC East and the construction of the Jets, because I know that's your team and with all the news surrounding Jamal Adams. And you totally agree with me. That, uh, or I should say, you totally disagree with me that I have the Bills as a front runner for the AFC. I don't but, totally disagree with you. I don't totally disagree with you. On paper, the Bills are the favorite to win the AFC East. There's no question about that, especially after the way they performed last season and Tom Brady leaving the division. I think it would be foolish to say they're not the favorites to win the division. Personally, 
I'm not that high on the Bills. I saw them last year, especially in week one against the Jets. They did not impress me at all. And you're talking about a Sam Darnold who was feeling the early symptoms of, of mono, still played well, at least in the first half. They lose C.J. Mosley in the second half. And, you know, you could call it excuses, but the Bills didn't win that game as much as the Jets lost that game. You, you look at the second half. The Jets gave it away in the last few minutes of the third quarter and then the fourth quarter. And, you know, the Bills had an incredibly easy schedule last year. I know that because I watched the schedule the Jets played, and it was awful. It was horrible. We played the NFC East, which is, no offense, the worst division in football last season. I agree and, with you. You know, look at who else they played. They, it, it wasn't great competition. They had a really good season. But I, I just don't trust them yet. I don't think that there's any team in the AFC East that's head and shoulders above the next. I think you could see the Dolphins come out this season and have a great season. They made a bunch of great offseason moves. But I think – I understand why people write the Jets off, but – and obviously I'm going to see things differently because I'm a Jet fan. But when you see it from the inside, you're looking at a team who in the past has been run by John Isdick and Mike McCagnan, who both were terrible GMs. They did horrible jobs, and they left Joe Douglas a terrible situation. And in one season, you could already see the changes he's making. This offseason, we improved at every single position on the field almost. And, you know, it, it's a slow build. It's not going to happen overnight. And, and people want to go crazy about it. One of them being Jamal Adams, of course, which I'll talk about. But improved at the cornerback position, which we were one of the worst in the, in the league. Improved at the offensive line, which we were one of the worst in the league. We got some receivers that we brought in. Now it'll be a bit of a competition out there. And, you know, competition brings out the best in people. So hopefully you can figure something out there. The biggest puzzle piece for the Jets this year is Sam Darnold. The defense will be there. We know that. There's no question. Greg Williams, he could take a peewee football team and turn him into a competent NFL defense. But the big puzzle piece is Sam Darnold. The offensive line has gotten a little bit better. He has Le'Veon Bell back. He has some new weapons on the outside. So this is his year to kind of step it up. He's still the youngest quarterback in the league, so there's going to be room for error. And I'm not saying that if he doesn't have a, an MVP-type season this year, I'm done with him. But he's got to show me something this year. He's shown flashes throughout his first two seasons. Hopefully, he'll stay healthy for a full season this year and show us what he really is because a lot of people are writing him off already, and it's just because he's played on a bad team in his first two seasons. But you look at the Jets last year, they finished at 7-9, and nine, and that's a season where they went 0-3 in the three weeks where Sam Donald was out, and they didn't even have a fighting chance in those three games. So you gave three games away. You look at the first week against the Bills, you should have won. And, you know, you take those four. I, I, you wouldn't have gone 3-0 because you played the Patriots. So say 2-1, and one, you beat the Eagles, you beat the Browns, and you win week one against the Bills. That's 3-1 and one instead of 0-4. And, and look at how much your season has changed just with those games alone. And then that doesn't even take account the fact that they lost to the Bengals and the Dolphins, which were two horrible losses in a, what you thought was a lost season. And it, it was just unfortunate circumstances for a team that realistically, when you look at it, could have been a playoff team if things didn't go so wrong. But, you know, you could debate that, you know, for years. But moving forward, I really like the job that Joe Douglas is doing so far, and I can't wait to see how he continues this rebuild. He was a part of that Ravens rebuilding that was obviously clearly successful. They've been awesome the last few years. 
He was a part of that Eagles rebuild, which has been supremely successful, brought him a Super Bowl ring. And now he's here building the pieces. And you look at this – I'll segue into this Jamal Adams situation. One of the things that Joe Douglas has done, he's been so open to anything. And he has to take calls at the deadline. You're in a position like the Jets are right now. There is nobody except maybe Sam Darnold on the roster who's untouchable. And I, I've said this. Every time the conversation has been brought up, there's two guys in the league, maybe three, that you don't take a phone call on. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. There is nothing that I would trade those guys for. Other than that, if the Cowboys had called up and said, we're going to give you three first-round picks for Jamal Adams, you'd be a crazy man not to take it. So how do you know what they're offering unless you pick up the phone? So Joe Douglas takes a phone call on it, obviously says no, because they're not going to give him away for less than a king's ransom. And Jamal Adams was not happy about it. His camp leaked out all this information around the trade deadline. And, you know, obviously the situation has just deteriorated since then. And the Jets have been on record saying they want him to be a Jet for life. And it seemed like Adams was all in on that. And then, of course, you thought that the contract extension was going to come this offseason. However, this is not normal circumstances. This is an international pandemic. And you have no idea what's going to happen to the cap next year or any year moving forward. So how are you expected to pay a guy $18 million a year when you have no idea what's going to happen to, to the salary cap next season? So it's a tough situation. And I think that Joe Douglas really does want him to be a jet for life. But at the end of the day, now is just not the time to do that. And, you know, you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, the, one of the greatest quarterbacks we've seen throughout the time that he's been in the league and he hasn't gotten a contract extension yet. You look at Aaron Donald, didn't get a contract extension with two years on his rookie deal. Khalil Mack didn't get a contract extension with two years on his rookie deal. And Jamal Adams' class, Trey um, Davies White from the Bills, one of the, an all-pro cornerback last season, hasn't gotten a contract extension yet because it's very rare to see a contract extension with two years left on your rookie deal. It's just the way things go. And I understand Jamal Adams wants to be paid, and he deserves to be paid. Now, had he come out and said, I want to be paid right now, trade me to the team that will give me the most money right now, I would have said, okay, I get it. He wants his money. That's fine. Send him where he wants, where, you know, he'll get paid and that's cool. That's not what he did though. He came out, he said he's upset over a contract extension he hasn't gotten yet. And then went on to list seven of the eight best teams in the NFL as his trade destinations and said, I don't have to negotiate a contract right away there. I'll I'll hold off on a contract extension there. So was it really ever about the contract extension or is he just tired of losing because he's been so used to winning and being the guy his whole life and he just can't handle the losing here in New York? Just say what it is. That's all I've asked about from, for Jamal Adams from the start. If he wanted to be on a winner, just come out, say you're tired of the losing and you want to go to a winning team and I'll respect it. You know, obviously nobody wants to sit and lose, but don't come out, say you're here to build, you know, you're, you're here through thick and thin and then hide behind the contract extension when it comes time that you want out. That was the weak part for me. Yeah, and like you said. On top of that, you look at the situation. The Jets hold all the cards here. Adams has no leverage in this situation because he's got two years left on his rookie deal plus a third-year franchise tag option for the Jets. And the way the players negotiated the last collective bargaining agreement they have no right to hold out. You know, they, they kind of really hurt themselves in their last negotiations because if you hold out, 
teams could hold off on a service year for you, and Jamal Adams could be stuck as a Jet. And you know, he so he's got to play. If he shows up and he's a headache, they could suspend him for conduct detrimental to the team, and he sits home and he doesn't receive a paycheck. So you know, I don't know how he thinks this is going to go. The Jets can hold on to him for three years if they want. And, and you know, I I think that he's went about it all wrong. If he went to Joe Douglas behind closed doors and figured this out, I think that he would have gotten exactly what he wanted to. But now, I don't know what's going to happen to him because the Jets hold all the cards. Yeah, just like you said, I I still believe that uh, Jamal Adams. He's he's a great player. I mean, he deserves that extra money for another extension for a couple of years. And like you said, I mean, the Jets are gonna gonna keep rebuilding and building. I mean, eventually they're gonna have it. They're gonna find it the right way. And uh, let's uh, I'll move on to uh, the uh, least uh, least and worst division, and then we can go on to some a little bit of baseball before we wrap up. But let's talk about the NFC East with probably, like you said, your famous quote, who wants to win the division the least? <laughs> and I want to talk about uh, my uh, New York football giants and about the moves that they did make this this offseason. I mean, everyone gives Dave Gettleman, the GM, a little bit of a fit because of uh, his GM uh, uh move tactics, but I think he had a great draft this past oh, yeah. year. With he knows the, how to draft. I don't think there's any the, question uh, about that. With the acquisitions of left tackle Andrew Thomas with the fourth pick from University of Georgia, then you probably have to steal the draft in the second round with safety Xavier McKinney from Alabama and then another third round pick with Cam Brown from Penn State, a linebacker, and then you restock if Here's, here's for all the Giants fans that say here, no more Eli. And, yes, I will argue this. He's going to be a first battle Hall of Famer. No matter, the, no matter what his record was, he's an Ironman of the NFL, comes from a football family, class tag, two-time Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion, beat Tom Brady twice. And th- I think that's all you have to say about that because, like, I'm, I'm just a little aggravated of how, like, people, like, per se, of how, like, the Mannings are representing in football. Because you look at Peyton, then you look at Eli. Peyton, I mean, the guy led. I love Peyton. Led, I think great. He, he led, he led the, he had the rookie record for interceptions. And I think it still holds today. I'm not sure. And then you have Eli. Uh, he's going to get his number retired in his album of Ole Miss. And then, of course, he's going to get the ring of honor treatment from the Giants, from the Mara family probably the most decorated family of all the NFL and football. And uh, let's just briefly speak upon about the NFC East. You have the America's team, the five-time champion Dallas Cowboys, uh, who had a fantastic draft, I would have to say. Jerry Jones did uh, a great uh, deal in wanting to get some certain acquisitions, uh, including – getting the wide receiver from University of Oklahoma, CeeDee Lamb. Uh, I mean, you look at that defense and you look at that offensive line with Dak and Zeke behind, then you add that wide receiver core with Gallup and uh, – The best – the yeah, best potentially, know. depending on what CeeDee Lamb does, the best wide receiver core in football. One, two, yes, three. without a doubt. Without a doubt. And uh, then now you got the Eagles with, like – 
Carson Wentz. I mean, it, you hate to say it that, like, I get so, like, excited to see Carson Wentz because he's a good quarterback, and I just hate to see when he gets hurt because it's always at the worst time of when they're trying to make a run in the playoffs or eventually in the Super Bowl. And uh, also then you have their pick with, surprisingly, you might have another uh, Swiss Army knife and the former Alabama and Oklahoma quarterback, Jalen Hurts. I mean, everyone's put him under the radar. I've been such a huge fan and supporter of Jalen Hurts ever since his freshman year at Alabama. With that uh, circumstances of what he's had, bowing through adversity and stuff, uh, losing his freshman year against ultimately Deshaun Watson and Clemson, him being taken out in the second half, ultimately two of winning the national championship, then ultimately Jalen Hurts sticking another year at Bama, him getting so much appreciation from the Alabama faithful, then they ultimately lose the national championship against Clemson, and then ultimately Jalen goes and transfers to Oklahoma as a grad transfer and has a fantastic year ultimately losing in the semifinal against the national champion LSU Tigers. And then now you also have the Washington Redskins who probably picked the best player in drafts. Everyone has ever, everyone was saying, Chase Sean from the Ohio State University. And you probably have that Ohio State Alabama court, both on offense and defense with Green Haskins, Terry McLaurin, and Chase Young, the Ohio State trio, I guess you could say. And you add a couple of Alabama guys with Landon Collins as well. Uh, where do you see, uh, but I would say, and without a doubt, I will pick the Cowboys as the division winners because, of course, they look good on paper. And But, I mean, you, you never know. Any any team in that division could play spoiler. Uh, uh, I would defend this case, but not too many people have the Giants on their radar, and I think that's a good thing because I do give them a couple years, and I know we talked about that the other night. I do them a couple. I give them a couple years just to like play spoiler or like even like get like a wild card bid. I guess you could say because now we have a new wild card system. Now three games instead of two games, but. Where can you uh, see this team or other teams as well in the division? Like try to like make a playoff run, I guess. The only team I would really count out personally is the Redskins. I don't I don't think the Redskins are there yet. I think they're making decent moves to, to get to a point where they could be a playoff team. But I, I just don't think they're there yet. Uh, of course, but you never know what's gonna happen in the NFC East. Um I think you hit the nail on the head with the Cowboys, but we said it last year. They look great on paper, and what happened to them? You know, they, they didn't show up when they had to. They, they had many chances to put it away down the stretch, and they just couldn't put the final nail in the coffin for the division. And then, of course, the Eagles swoop in and, and take that playoff spot. But, I mean, you're talking about a team who we saw that roster last year had all that talent. And they draft C.D. Lamb, adding to that wide receiver core, which is going to be ridiculous with him, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup. I mean, it's almost like there's too many mouths to feed. Uh, they also re-signed Amari Cooper, of course, like I just said. And one thing that I totally forgot about, it seems like forever ago, they brought in Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe on that defensive line. That is scary. 
and it really helps out a somewhat weak secondary that they have that they're able to apply that pressure. Of course, they lost Byron Jones, which is a big loss for them. But to be able to add that pressure up front, it's going to make it much easier on that secondary, you know, if they're pressuring the quarterback, you know, consistently. And then in addition to almost replace Byron Jones, they bring in Trevon Diggs in the draft, which was a great pick for them. And I don't know how they got him as late as they did, but, you know, a great move to replace Byron Jones. So it was almost like they didn't lose much and they added so much this offseason. I'm really excited to watch them play. They're going to have one of the most high-powered offenses in football, in my opinion. I mean, between Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, who can both, you know, move around. Dak can get out of the pocket and make something happen with his feet. And then on the outside, you got Cooper, uh, um, CeeDee Lamb, and Gallup. You know, that's a big play waiting to happen, and that doesn't even take into account their O-line, which is one of the best in football. So on paper, there is no reason the Cowboys should lose the division. But you also got to take into account the Eagles, who just seem to love making something out of nothing these past few years. And even though I don't think they had the best draft, I think that Jalen Hurts was a bit of a reach where they got him, especially when you just paid Carson Wentz all that money. But they – robbed the Detroit Lions of Darius Slay, giving up just a third and a fifth. And it helps that cornerback position that they had absolutely nothing at. And, you know, it, it's, it's a great move for them. They needed that corner. They needed that lockdown corner to solidify that secondary. And they got it in Darius Slay. That's going to be a huge help for them. They got Jalen Rieger with the 21st pick. I wasn't too sure about that. I personally would have went with Justin Jefferson at that pick. But they think they, they got their guy. They wanted a burner. They wanted a Deshaun Jackson type. And they think they found him at the 21st pick. I like Jalen Rieger. I personally think they picked him a little bit high. But, you know, I liked a lot of the moves they made. And I think that they're about a similarly talented team as they were last year. If you can get a healthy Carson Wentz the whole season, I could see them playing spoiler. And then you have the Giants. I don't know if the Giants are there yet. They kind of remind me of the Jets. They're trending upwards. They're making the right moves. I just don't know if they're there yet. I love their offseason. I thought that Andrew Thomas pick was great. I was skeptical of it at the time. But he's the most NFL-ready guy out of any of those offensive tackles in the draft. And, you know, he was up there on the list of guys I wanted the Jets to take. So for them to get him, although a lot of people might have called it a reach, they got their guy NFL ready. Andrew Thomas played at Georgia, great system. And, you know, I, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be excited with that pick. And you mentioned uh, one of the steals of the draft, Xavier McKinney, falling all the way to the second round, which is insane. I believe when I mocked it, I had him at 19 or so. So for him to fall all the way that far to the Giants at a position of need helps that secondary out, which they were terrible at last season. And, you know, they, they made a couple moves to help out the rest of the roster. Of course, Blake Martinez, bringing him, him in at linebacker is a big help. And then James Bradbury on the outside to help out that secondary again. And then on the offensive line, you mentioned Matt Pert in the third round was a great pick for them. And, you know, it just helps solidify and keep building. You know, it, it's not going to happen overnight, especially on the offensive line. You can't build an offensive line overnight, but you just chip away piece by piece. You hope Perk can work out, and then you have your two offensive tackles of the future right there. It, it's similar to what the, what the Jets did with, obviously, bringing in Mekhi Becton, and then they, they brought in Cameron Clark late in the draft. 
So, you know, that's the way you build. I thought Cam Brown was a steal for as late as they got him. So a lot of the moves they're making, and of course, Daniel Jones, I was very happy with the way Daniel Jones performed last year. And if I was a Giants fan, I would be ecstatic. Of course, he has to work on, you know, being more careful with the football, not turning it over as much. And it's not even just interceptions. The fumbles are the thing that concerns you a lot, but that's something you can fix. And he's a young guy. I think he's only like a month or so older than Darnold. So I think New York is in good hands at the quarterback position. And both of these teams, I think, are in very similar positions in divisions where, you know, obviously there's a clear favorites in the Cowboys and the Bills, but I don't see why both of these teams can't be in the mix this year. Yeah. So I'm going to briefly, like, uh, spin upon in the uh, MLB. I know your Mets uh, had a – with that doubt, I think we're the most surprising uh, second halves of the year last year. Uh, also wasn't a surprise for me. It was not I mean, a surprise for me. I was calling that since the beginning of the season. And so, I mean, unfortunately, like falling short of a wild carpet. I mean, this team got restocked and reloaded. Unfortunately, uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Thor, uh, does have Tommy John surgery, but you have a loaded starting rotation. He took a guy that I love from my team. Uh, he's now in New York. He went to Seattle Prep in West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, graduate there, uh, Rick Porcello, a great starting rotated p- pitcher. Uh, of course, Marcus Stroman, Jacob Degrom, Mats, of course. And uh, I look at the Mets this year. I am very highly on them. Of course, in my team. Uh, we lost a couple people that uh, unfortunately did not uh, go as well with the trade from David Price and Mookie Betts. Yes, Mookie Betts, uh, Dodger, as well as David Price in exchange for picks and also Alex Verdugo and young and upcoming outfielder. But uh, and now you look at the team that's going to be a favorite. It's not. It's not either of those teams. It's the team that plays in the Bronx, the house that Jeter built, the guys that wear the stripes, the navy blue, black, whatever pinstripes, uh, the 27-time world champion, New York Yankees. And the only thing that he needed to do was get another starting pitcher, and that was that. And Brian Cashman did it. They got Garrett Cole. They got the guy from the team that they lost to in six games unknowingly. And you look at this team, and I want to – and I apologize to you because I want to shy on – because I know we're winding down a bit because I know you have to go uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, I We could talk about the Mets another time, and I respect that. And we could talk about the Red Sox another time. But you look at the Yankees now. You look at the starting lineup. Judge, Hicks, Stanton, Torres, Andujar, LeMahieu, Voight, Tachman, Sanchez. We have starting rotation with Cole, Tanaka, Domingo Herman, James Paxton. You have a bullpen with Tommy Canley, Chad Green, and Montevino. And then you got the Cuban Missile coming out of the bullpen, waiting to throw 99, 100, 102 at you 
a deadly breaking ball with Chapman. It, it pains me to say it. I don't know. I don't know if it pains you more, but it pains me because I've grown up knowing not to like this particular team, and as now as I got older. Man, they're going to be the World Series favorite, and I don't see anyone stopping the Yankees. But it needs me to ask you this question: It's World Series are best for them, and how do you think the Yankees are gonna respond to all of this noise and what the predicament is? Of course, with the coronavirus, but I mean, all across the board on the field. Uh, on the on the line of card with Aaron Boone at the helm of this team, of course Ryan Cashman, the Steinbrenner family pulling the strings like a puppet. Where do you see the Yankees go this year? And it's World Series or bust. I can't I can't explain it more. Yeah, it, it, it's an embarrassment of riches for the Yankees. Like there there is the only team that's even close to them on paper is the Dodgers. Of course, adding your Mookie Betts. And not giving Sadly. up much that is hurting them right now, you know, per se. So adding Mookie Betts and not really taking a chunk out of your current lineup, that Dodgers team is going to be really good. But you look at the Yankees, and you know, on paper, they are just ridiculous. It's it's the evil empire, and of course, they bring in Garrett Cole, arguably one of the best pitchers, not the best, but one of the best, because we all know who the best pitcher in baseball is. Can't He's argue the- about that. The goat, <laughs> but. You know, I, I think that, like you said, 100% it's World Series or bust for the Yankees. There's no question about that. I think that there, it was kind of World Series or bust for them last year, too. And, of course, they fall short, you know, no matter the circumstance. But, obviously, bringing in Garrett Cole this year, they're going to be so tough to beat. The one thing that I have mentioned, and Yankee fans do not like me for bringing it up, and, of course, it turns into blowback against my Mets – because, you know, that's just the way sports arguments go. But the Yankees do have a, a couple of regression candidates on their team this season. You look at it, and there's a bunch of guys who had great years last year. You look at a guy like DJ LeMahieu, who was playing in one of the best hitters parks in baseball in Coors Field, you know, over, over the first couple seasons of his career, and he never had a season like he had last year. Could that just be him hitting his peak as a baseball player? Sure, it can be. But the odds that he's going to have a season just like that again are not high. And, you know, you can go around the rest of the lineup. A guy like Gio Urshela was not a highly touted prospect, hadn't done it before, and comes out of nowhere, hits over 300, has a crazy year. Same thing with a guy like Mike Talkman. It just seems like anybody who the Yankees were throwing into the lineup were, you know, becoming otherworldly. It, it made no sense. So are those guys going to be able to come out next year and do the same thing? That's a big question mark. And you look at a guy like Andujar, is he going to be able to come back from injury? Judge, is he going to be able to come back from injury? Stanton, same thing. And you can go on and on and on. But obviously this is on paper the best team in baseball. If everybody's healthy, by far the best team in baseball. They just have to come out and do what they do. And that's the question. Is that going to happen? And, you know, obviously there's the, the variables with the coronavirus and everything like that. You don't know how that's going to affect teams. You never know when it's going to throw a wrench in something like we talked about with the NBA. But it, it, in a normal season, if I had to put my money on it, you'd have to – you'd be crazy not to put your money on the Yankees versus the field. It, it, it's just hard to argue with it 
They, they had the best roster in baseball last season, and they added one of the best pitchers in baseball. And they have a great bullpen. So it's like, where, you know, where do you go wrong with this team? And I, you have to imagine they're going to get Luis Severino back healthy, which is going to be huge for them. They're going to get Tanaka back healthy, which is going to be huge. So it's just like, where is the hole in their lineup? You just have to – if you're a fan of another team like me, the only thing you can hope is that the guys who had crazy years last year weren't trending up. They just had one blip on the radar year, and they'll you know come back down to earth this year. But it's hard to argue the Yankees being the favorite this season. And I, I, a lot of people hate the Yankees. I don't really hate the Yankees. You know, they they just kind of are like the team that everybody wants to beat, and every sport needs that. If there's not a team that everybody wants to beat, then it wouldn't be fun. It would be like a power vortex. Everybody needs a Yankees. Yeah, I mean, like, if you look, if you look at my team, I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, like, I know you like, you say like you don't hit the Yankees, but like on my end of things, I mean, it's different. You know, for me. I was a Red different Sox fan. for me. It's different it's for me. Story. I mean, I'm looking at this Red Sox team this year: Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Michael Chavis, Mitch Moreland, Christian Vasquez, Kevin Pillar, J.D. Martinez, Jackie Belly Jr., Andrew Bettendi, of course, Alex Rodrigo. Uh, a subpar starting rotation. I mean, with probably Nathan Uvalde and Warren Rodriguez in in the bounce. Uh, Ryan Brazier coming out of the bullpen, and of course Brandon Workman as a uh, closure. I mean, this team without Chris Sale, who's on Tommy John surgery. Uh, I mean, it felt as they fell apart. I guess. Now with but, new GM, uh, I'm sorry. Now with new GM, Chime Bloom, and now with uh, GM Ron Renicky, I just don't know where this team could go. If they could play spoiler, and you know me, I know I would want my team to play spoiler against the other division teams as well. But I mean, I I want you to give your uh, deep, deep, honest uh, thought about how the Red Sox could try to rebuild. And I know they're in the rebuild mode, so. Yeah, and they are in a rebuild mode, but you look at it, and at the end of the day, they got a World Series ring out of this roster. And, you know, obviously you, you have to look at teams in, like, the era. This roster is a team that won you a World Series. And at the end of the day, that's a success. If, you know, if this Mets team wins a World Series this year and then next year they trade everybody on the team, I would be upset, but I still got to see my team win a World Series. So you can't necessarily complain about it. And I think that they're in good shape in this rebuild. You know, they have so much young talent on that roster. And, you know, they will not be down for long. Trust that because they got a lot of good prospects coming up the pipeline. And at the end of the day, they're the Red Sox. So people want to go there. People want to play for one of the most storied franchises in baseball. So I don't think that they will be – I don't even know if they'll ever be cellar dwellers in in this next decade. But – if they are, they won't be for long. But it's this division is going to be tough with this new realignment with the ten, three 10 team divisions. And, you know, obviously it's going to be a combination of the AL and NL East. So it's going to be the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know. And then on top of that, you got the World Series defending champions, Nationals, the Phillies who retooled this offseason. It, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to Braves watch this too. division. Awesome. The Bra- 
totally forgot the Braves, who were one of the best young, talented teams in baseball. They had a down year last year, but they are one of the most talented teams in baseball. And they're going to be a sleeper this year. I just slept on them by not naming them in the division. <laughs> but, I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr., arguably the I would say third best player in baseball behind Yelich and Trout, but I love watching Acuna play. He is incredible. Mm-hmm. They got Albies on that robbery of a contract. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch these next few years. But just yeah. both of our divisions in general are going to be great these next couple of seasons. Of course, without doubt. So I'll end it here. Uh, Jack, um, thank you again for coming on today. Uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate you giving your thoughts on uh, – with maybe uh, a stellar of a month of July. Uh, and Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Uh, I'll give you a little uh, brief uh, thought, final thought. Uh, uh, the floor is yours for uh, the few bit before you get on your way. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. I always love talking sports with you, and you know anytime you need me, I'm just a phone call away. I'll hop on, no problem. You don't have to ask me twice to talk sports. You know I'm always down for that. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I can't wait to see how everything pans out with this upcoming month of July. We're supposed to get the NBA back, supposed to get baseball back, hockey, golf is starting to come back. I'm a big golf guy, so I'm happy about the golf coming back. But, you know, it should be a lot of fun to watch and – if I had to give my predictions, the Lakers win the NBA championship, the Vegas Golden Knights win the NHL, and that's a bold pick. The Los Angeles, actually no, the New York Mets win the World Series this year. That's, that's my mic drop. The, Ve- the Vegas, the Vegas pick is very is very stellar because of the last three years. Uh, they they got to get their uh, revenge they, from from losing that cup. Of course, and in that game seven where they were up three nothing, and unfortunately, chaos blew against the uh, Sharks. So, and listen, you're gonna have to bring me back on to talk about my Mets pick. Don't oh, think yes. you're getting off the hook about me talking about the Mets because I'll ramble uh, about the Mets. Oh, uh, we can talk about the Mets. We can talk <laughs> about the Wolfpons. We can talk about oh, anything. God. Anything talk about the new buyers, anything. please. Uh, get some, new, get some uh, new bidders in there for the ownership uh, group. Uh, <laughs> But we can talk about we can talk about e six sixty nine whatever. <laughs> but we can talk about two thousand. We can talk about Bobby Bonilla Day. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but uh, good morning, good afternoon, good night, whatever it may be. Uh, everyone, go do something. Uh, Fourth of July weekend's coming up. Canada Canada Day was yesterday, so happy Canada Day to all those people up north. Great sports, great people. Uh, Sometimes you got to battle your neighbors to fight for the goal sometimes in any particular sport. But enjoy this weekend. Sports will be back. Again, sports is the beacon of light and the beacon of hope. This is the Sport Talk Podcast with Camel Donovan. That was episode four with Jack Partek. Thank you. That is all.